you know what's really important as Christians, I think we have to take a moment, sit back, relax, and think it really doesn't matter who our president is. It matters who our God is. If, if my marriage is in need of repair, it doesn't matter who the president is. It matters who my God is. If my child is sick or if I'm facing a life-threatening illness, it doesn't matter who the president is. It matters who my God is. If I need a job, it doesn't matter what the employment rates are or those numbers or any statistics or who the president is. It matters who my God is. You see, when we're living, I think it's up there. I, I don't know. I'm going to um, not get to the scripture for a little while. I, I, I don't even know what slides I actually sent them. Now I've forgotten. But um, when we live, we're going to talk about living the promises of God. When we live in the promises of God, we're not bound anymore by the constraints of this world. And that's the thing we have to remember. What matters is not who leads, who rules, who legislates. What matters is what God's will is for my life and who I am in Him. Jeremiah 29:11. We're all familiar with that passage. It says, "I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. We all know this: that God has a plan for us, each of us individually and corporately as a body of Christ. And that's not very revelatory. And and I, I get that. We've all heard it before. But hearing it's one thing, and living it. I think it's quite another. The last time this past summer I was privileged to speak with you, I talked about depending or, or depending on the depending on the promises of God. Tonight I want to spend a few minutes talking about living in the promises of God. Because living in the promises of God takes discipline, it takes work. And it takes fervent prayer. And the idea came to me from one of my friends here at Celebration. I called and I asked him, hey, can I use what you told me a few weeks ago? I was talking to him, and he mentioned how he'd been going through one of the most difficult times in his life. A tough time, the last 18 months, he said, were miserable. He thought they just couldn't get any worse. And he discovered, like many of us do, that, well, it, it actually can get worse. You've been through, many of us have been through times when we realize that, wait a minute, I am right in the middle of living the battle for my life. Jesus in, in John chapter 10, 10 says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I come, though, Jesus said, that you may have life and have it abundantly. So why is it, I ask myself, and 
why is it that too many of us are losing the battle and not living what we know to be the promises of God? I was at a conference, a business conference, and I was talking to a colleague who responded after I asked him, hey, how is your family doing? He said, I'm divorced, losing the battle. Our family, our marriages, our kids, our finances, you name it, there's a battle raging. We know it. And so back to my friend here at Celebration. He said, but I'm turning the corner. And he said this, he said, because of, and he didn't just say because of prayer, He put this adjective in. He said, because of fervent prayer. And then he began to describe what he meant. And I got excited listening to him. He said, the kind of prayer that begins with, I'm not going to take it anymore kind of attitude. The kind of prayer that, that begins with that righteous anger. The prayer that doesn't deny the battle, but fights the battle. The kind of prayer that understands where his strength comes from. The kind of prayer where he boldly believes that I do not have to live stagnantly, but because of Jesus, my life not only can be, because I understand what the promises of God are, but will be abundantly joyful. Now, Wouldn't it be great if all of us every day, every week, every month, every year of our lives, we were not just aware, and I know we all are, aware of the promises of God, but we're living the promises of God? And it doesn't mean that every day our lives are going to be roses, I I get that, but living the promises of God means we don't live in acceptance but we live in expectance we don't live just accepting the way things are we live expecting God to do wonderful and marvelous things my friend here at celebration he owned the fact that his life was tough so you see the point one I don't know guys about that about the slides but the first the first point is that you really, in order to live the promises of God, you have to own who you are and where you are. You have to own you. We live in a world that says it's always someone else's fault. I know the reality for many of you is the fact that if you admit to a mistake corporately, wherever it is that you work, you might put yourself and your corporation in liability for something. If you admit to a mistake to your superior or your boss, you might be demoted or even worse. So I I get it. You, You never apologize for anything because that's seen as a bit naive. That is until you're caught and there's no other option. That's how the world operates. And for some reason, we've emulated this line of thinking even into our personal living, the twisted notion that never accepting responsibility. My pain, 
my failure, my hardship is someone else's fault. If my behavior is bad, it's because, it's not because of anything I've done, it's because you didn't do enough to make me better. When in reality, I am where I am because of the choices I've made. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that what other people have done doesn't affect us. In fact, other people's sins can cause our lives to be much more difficult than they would be ultimately. However, no one is responsible for you but you. And to do or think anything else is to portray yourself as a victim. And the Bible doesn't say we're victims, but we're victors. John chapter 5, finally there. It's the story of the healing of the man at the pool. It says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is Aramaic and is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, one who was there and had been an invalid for 38 years when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? He said, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred, and while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, well, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which that took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him who this fellow is who told you to pick it up and walk. The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Well, so what happens? So the first, first piece of living the promise of God is really just to admit where we are, to own it. But the second piece, it gets exciting because we don't have to keep it. We can surrender it. The man surrenders at Jesus' command. In order to live the promise of God, there has to be a realization of where you are and a willingness to surrender all that you are. Now, there's two, I think, very important aspects of the conversation and healing. One, the man surrenders to Jesus' healing, and he walks. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath. And according to Jewish law, when he carries his mat, he's breaking the law of the Sabbath. The man finds himself back right in the square in the middle of the environment from where he came, well-meaning people started telling him how wrong he was to carry his mat 
when he was walking on his own after 38 years of not being able to walk. I find that so amazing. Not, hey, you're walking, but you're not supposed to be carrying your mat. I may have shared this story with you before, but Teresa's, but I'm going to share it again, sorry. Teresa's cousin, Gail, lived with us a number of years ago, well, stayed with us while she came down from Illinois to our home to be treated at MD Anderson. And she did that for a few years. And she would stay with us, and, and our dog got to know her, and our dog was now her dog, and our dog would go and jump in bed with her and stay with her and comfort her. Anyway, it was a, it was a good time. And at that point, in our lives, we were attending Lakewood, and one Sunday morning, Gail got this urge to go up and be prayed for by Dodie Osteen. So she went up, Teresa went with her, we prayed, and something happened. God touched her. She knew it. She knew it. Teresa knew it. I knew it. It was an exciting moment in her life and a time in her life. And so she came back to the house. Unfortunately, the story doesn't end well. I wish we could stop right there. But she comes back to the house. She's excited. And over the next few days, she calls her family. And they begin to discourage her and say, oh, that doesn't really happen. Those things, you need to go and know, that just they began to discourage her, and over the course of about a week, we witnessed this joyful, bubbling, healed individual shrink back into defeat. Why does that happen? I think there's a clue in that scripture when Jesus goes to the man, and he says, he doesn't say, hey, good to see you. Glad you're here. Way to go. Glad you're walking. He says, hey, you're better. Stop sinning. He, there's no, to me, it's like, whoa. I'm wondering why Jesus said that. Perhaps it's, it's because at that that man had shrunk right back into the environment from which he came. Do you know why recidivism rate is so high in, in our prisons in the United States is because when a person commits a crime and they go and they serve their sentence and then they're released, typically they are released right back into the same environment from where they came. It's a sad story. It's horrible. Jesus is saying to this man, sin. I mean, excuse me. He's saying, go and sin no more. What is he really saying? If we understand what sin is, it's separation from God. He's saying, you're in a position that is separating you from me. Get out of that situation. Sin no more. Go, stop going to the places you went to before. Stop thinking the thoughts that you had before. Stop living the way that you were living before. Begin to live in a new way. Stop sinning. So, 
back to my friend. He, so once you own what you have, surrender it to God. I don't know if our points are up, doesn't matter. Once you own what you own who you are, you surrender it to God, you should never look back. Never, ever go back. Embrace a positive change. Most people who find a healing in their lives, you'll find that they don't just stop there. They begin to study the Word. They begin to expect joyful things to happen. They begin to move forward in their life spiritually and emotionally and physically. Their lives take on a new, a new uh, a way of living. It's because they've experienced something that have launched them into something better than where they were before. And they don't stop. They don't get hung up on the old. They don't hang around people who drag them down. They find encouraging groups, encouraging Bible studies that build them up and feed them with God's Word. They embrace positive change. At our life group last night, one of the things that uh, uh, James said, he, he, he said, you know, I love change and I'm excited about what's going to happen. That's the kind of attitude that healed people, people living in the promises of God, take on. My friend here at Celebration, he said, I have to decide every day which dog I'll feed. The one that's growling, miserable, or the one that's joyful and excited. I have a choice every day that I wake up. My mindset will rule my attitude. Never look back. Don't drive in the rearview mirror. Look forward. Personally, I'll take it down to uh, more of a, a simpler, probably a lot of the things that you and I struggle with every day. One of the sins that pulls at me, and we all have them, that tries to drag me back is judgmental arrogance, for all I, that's what I can think of. And, and, um, I was, I'm excited to say, taking a sidestep here, there is, if you haven't noticed, a commuter lane from north of 1488 all the way down into Houston. Teresa and I, when we're traveling to Houston in the, in the morning hours, we love it. The other morning I was driving by myself and I was in the left lane cruising along in the traffic that normally is on 45 headed into Houston and fine, moving along like it does. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time worrying about the traffic. There's too many other people worried and so they're all worrying for me and scurrying around. And, but there's this, there was two cars that came by me in the commuter lane and I looked over there was only the driver in the car. And I looked at him and I go, what are you doing? And I began to think all kinds of bad, that's a terrible person. You liar, cheater. You must be horrible. Why are you doing this? And then God, God tapped me on the shoulder and he said, he said, hey, you know, you can 
judge whether or not things are right or wrong. But you can't judge a person's worth. And I said, okay, God, forgive me. And Paul, in his letter to the Romans, he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let's stand. Paul said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the verse that I was reminded of as I was judging this person thinking I was better than they were for some reason. And then the rest of that passage says, all are justified freely by His grace, not mine, by His grace, through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Friends, there's a constant battle that goes on in our lives, and if we are not just aware, we can't be just aware of the promises of God, but need to be involved in living in the promises of God. There is no one person, no power, no principality that can keep God's loving favor from guiding you and me. There is no outside force. There is no president. There is no nothing that can keep God's will from happening in your life if we will honestly own who we are. All of us are in need of God's forgiveness. Surrender it completely to Him and never look back. Expecting God to do great and mighty things and live like we're loved by the Creator because we are. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us. Help us to pick up our mats to follow you. To look and live faithfully every day. Living in the promises of God, expecting joyous and wonderful things because you, the Creator, have a purpose for our lives and nothing, nothing, no one, no power, no principality will come between your will for us to be involved in your will. Help us, O oh God, to always be mindful of that. In Jesus' name, amen. There's no official dismissal. But seeing through at least one time, it's open up front if you want to come. Pour out your heart, surrender your needs to God. Stand up, walk out of here, and never look back, leaving it all right here. In Jesus' name, be blessed. Amen.